from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. So do you find yourself as a doula, sometimes you have to tangle a little bit with the physicians? Sometimes, sometimes. But <laughs> eating during labor mm. comes up a lot. Um, people are like, what? I could eat. It's like, yes, you didn't have to be hangry. Birth isn't necessarily something to fear. I'm Sarah Fenske. Tonight, Ebony Hooper Boateng receives a big award from Generate Health. The St. Louis-based doula has earned the 2021 Judy Wilson Griffin Maternal Health Equity Champion Award. Ebony is the founder of Birthing You Doula Services. She also started the Ruth Wilson Birth Fund, which helps provide reduced-cost services to black women and teens. She's one of four local champions being honored for their contributions to the field of maternal and infant health. And she joins us today to tell us her story. So Ebony Hooper Boating, welcome. Thank you for having me. So congratulations on your award. When did you find out you were going to be honored? Oh, that was earlier this summer. Um, I'm honestly still processing. I thought maybe by the time the ceremony happening this evening that I would have, it would have sunken in, but I'm still like, what? It still hasn't <laughs> sunk in? You've had months. <laughs> so this feels like a big deal. Yes, yes, it definitely does and is. It feels like you're in a field where um, the women that you work with, we all have such tight connections to our doula. They're so important in our lives. But it's not necessarily something where you get a lot of recognition from the outside world. This seems like maybe a one small way of changing that. Yes, and bringing awareness to even what a doula even is. Because a lot of people probably even now may be listening and be like, what is what is a doula? So that's actually a, a perfect segue. Um, tell us, for people who are listening, what is a doula? Yes. So we are essentially a support person for um, folks throughout the reproductive journey. Um, some doulas may specialize in maybe preconception or pregnancy, birth, postpartum. Um, so there's different emphasis, but we essentially provide emotional support, informational support, and physical support for people throughout their journey. We aren't medically trained, um, but we do have training to be able to be a source of comfort and things for people. So I feel like so many women end up becoming doulas because of something that happens when they themselves are giving birth to their kids, whether it's good or bad. It ends up sort of starting them on that journey. Was that the case for you? Yes. So some, some there definitely are doulas out there who, who may not have birthed children just yet of their own or plan to. But for me, um, the birth of my first daughter um, is really what started me on that trajectory. Um, it was a very empowering experience. I had a, a good experience, thankfully, um, but I am sharing my story with others or people inquiring with me um, just about now their pregnancy and birth. I quickly realized that my experience was rather different from a lot of people. And people kept saying, what? I didn't know about that. I could have done that. I didn't know that was an option. And that kind of sparks me to be like on a journey to make sure that people at least know all their options and mm -hmm. so that they can make informed decisions about their care. Give us an example of something that you were able to do um, in your journey that you later found out, hey, not every woman who's giving birth, this is not how it always works for them. Okay. 
Um, um, two big ones that I'll say, um, eating during labor mm. comes up a lot. Um, people are like, what? I could eat. It's like, yes, you didn't have to be hangry. And the second one is, um, ooh, fetal monitoring is a big mm. one. So a lot of times kind of like the routine thing, if, if anyone's ever seen pictures or labored themselves, there's like a monitor that goes on the belly and it consistently and continuously monitors the baby's heart heart rate and the birthing person's contractions. But it also limits uh, mobility quite a lot. And I could go down a rabbit hole, but it also um, in, is related to higher rates of cesarean for low-risk birthing people. So there's another option with intermittent monitoring, um, which they literally come in periodically to check and listen to the baby's heart rate, but it drastically changes the experience and, and also really gives people the mobility to move around freely um, while they labor. Which can really help with labor pains if you're able to walk it out as opposed to being strapped down. Yes. And yet, as you say, so many women don't know this, and even women who do know it, they might try to, to speak up, but their voice is not the voice that's being listened to in the room. Yes, I would say that's true. And so then you're there as a doula. Is your job in some ways, you're almost like the lawyer. I don't mean more of an advocate where you're saying, hey, we could do this in this case and kind of speak up on, on the person's behalf. Yes. And a lot of the work as a doula, um, I'm hired on during the pregnancy. So we have the opportunity to talk about all these options and things long before someone goes into labor so that they can even have these conversations with their provider about their options and desires prior to that day. So when we're walking in that room, they're already like, hey, I want intermittent monitoring. <laughs> and then they can they can speak up and, and that ends up being so much more likely to happen then. Yes, so do you find yourself as a doula, sometimes you have to tangle a little bit with the physicians? Sometimes, sometimes. But, <laughs> uh, and then sometimes, too, um, I think also, too, maybe sometimes it's the nursing staff. So I think a lot of times, too, people may have the perception that their provider, whether it's an OB or a midwife, will be with them that entire time. When in all actuality, you're, you're more likely to interact with the, the nurses way more frequently. And even them, too, are just coming in a hospital setting, will be coming in and out of the room to check on you. So the doula is the person that's there continuously that, that whole time. And so sometimes, too, yeah, it does, especially with the shift changes and things, uh, making sure that everyone is up to speed with what this person's desires are for their birth experience. And so you're there. You're, it sounds like you're wearing almost like six hats at once, trying to just be the person there for the mom who's in the process of laboring. Um, so you got into this because not everybody had had such a good experience as, as what you have. Do you feel like you're able to make a difference for these women you work with? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Um, it makes a, a big difference to have that support person present um, to keep you encouraged, to help even the people or even their support people, whether it's a partner or a family member in the room, up to speed with 
the lingo that the, the staff is saying, what that means, what's going on, and just having that person that's by your side that, that whole time. And also to postpartum. So mm-hmm. I, I follow up, you know, kind of routinely. People may not see their provider again until six weeks, but a lot can happen within those first six weeks. So having a doula to be able to come over and support people in that vulnerable time also really makes a difference. So you did your first doula training in 2018, and in 2020, you took True Kelman's training at Jama Birth Village, and we've had True on this show. She's, she's just such an amazing woman. What did you learn in sort of that second set of training that you did? Yes. So it was very important for me to take a training that was local, um, to have that context of what's going on in my city. The first one was virtual. Mm. Um, and then I also, um, the historical and cultural components of True's training is really unique and was important to me to be able to really have a training that's rooted in addressing um, systematic oppression and things that's going on and impacting black birthing people. Yeah, I mean, black women have um, such higher rates of serious problems in pregnancy and in labor and delivery. Um, in this class with True and in what you've seen, um, are you seeing some of the causes of that in your work? Yes. Cultural competence, it, it goes a, a long way. Um, just culturally, different things of respecting maybe the, the elders in the room, um, speaking to them, um, also to recognizing just even colloquialisms, what people are saying, creating space for voice, how their tone is interpreted mm-hmm. by the staff. Um, so it really, really makes a, a huge, a huge difference. And yet at the same time, it can be harder sometimes for black women to access doulas um, and to have access to the kind of services that you provide. I understand this is something that you're proactively um, taking on. What are you doing on that front? Yes. So I started the Ruth Wilson Birth Fund in honor of my late grandmother, um, who actually uh, worked in labor and delivery um, as a nurse at Barnes Jewish Hospital. And so um, with that fund, it's open for the community, anyone to donate to. And all of the money that's raised goes towards me being able to provide a full spectrum doula support for uh, black and indigenous people of color, as well as parents 20 and under. Um, So that because I really believe in a a big component, too, of True's training is access to care, um, equal access to care. And so I never want finances to be the barrier between having such needed um, support. And a lot of times, um, sometimes the the folk who may not be able to pay for it out of pocket um, may be the ones that need you the most. Mm-hmm. And so with this fund, I'm able to make sure I still provide those services. So if people are interested in contributing to that fund, you can go to birthingudoula.com, and that's the Ruth Wilson Birth Fund. I love that this was your grandmother, yes. um, that she was in the same line of work, although a different aspect of it, but they're working in labor and delivery. Do you feel like this is almost like this is the calling maybe took you a while to realize, but that you're following in in the family tradition. Yes, it has to be. And my grandma was radiant and she uh, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's when I was 13 years old. But one thing about her that was always amazing to see was her warm spirit. She was so kind, so friendly. She passed in March of 2020. Mm -hmm. But even with 
that loss of her memory, to see her interact with a child or a baby, she never lost that touch. Never. And so uh, it definitely is something that runs in the family, being able to have that connection. We're talking today to Ebony Hooper Boating. She's receiving the 2021 Judy Wilson Griffin Maternal Health Equity Champion Award. That is a mouthful, but a, a great award there from Generate Health. And that happens tonight. Um, and Ebony, in your services, you mentioned something on your website and in your materials that I don't always see mentioned um, on a doula website. And that is you talk about bereavement care. Yes. You say every story doesn't end with a baby. Why is that something that's important for you to talk about and to to share with the women you work with? Yes, because I think when, we, especially maybe aspiring doulas, when we think about this work, we think about, you know, the joy that may come with supporting one and a baby at the, at the end of it, when the reality is that loss happens and um, there's this overwhelming silence sometimes when people experience a loss, no matter at what point in the pregnancy or sometimes even in the infancy mm-hmm. of their child. And so I think it's very important to know that um, you can have a doula no matter what. And I always let clients know that I'm your doula no matter what twist or turn happens along the way that you will not lose me as a support person Mm -hmm. and I will be by your side. And so it happens Um, and it's unfortunate when when it does, but I'm there and ready to go. So this is something that has happened to clients of yours. I mean, they've had a miscarriage or something has happened to the baby. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's got to just be the hardest part of anything you deal with. It's it's never easy. Yeah. It's never easy. And also, too, as a, a doula, you support more than one family. And it can be difficult, you know, to have one family that maybe you're supporting with a stillbirth and another family calls you because they're going into labor and emotionally those are two very different places to be in but it's it's my duty to, to be there um, for 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 each family uniquely with what they need in that moment yeah how do you do that how do you make that shift from just the saddest thing that could ever happen to then the happiest thing and it could happen all within just a couple hours that you're going from one to the other yes it is it is not easy and birth work is definitely very emotionally charged as well. But sometimes I just make sure that I take time uh, in between, um, however much I can, to kind of work through those emotions and make sure that when I step in the presence of someone that I'm putting my best foot forward with with what they need. Hmm. So thinking of some of the challenges in your work, I'm wondering during the COVID-19 pandemic, um, hospitals got really aggressive about how few people they could let into the labor and delivery room. And certainly that came from a place of good intentions. But I imagine in some cases that may it hard to have a doula in there yes so definitely and it has it changes the policies change and and every hospital is is a little different so some of the hospitals in our area the doula is considered a part of like the medical team and so we may not be included in that number of visitors that people may be restricted to but in some hospitals we are considered one of the the visitors and so that sometimes for my clients is a tough decision that they have to make on who they want pr- physically present with them. I mean, in some cases, do they have to choose between their doula and their partner? Yes, or, or um, a lot of times or even recently, uh, maybe choosing 
between like um, the doula and maybe their parent. So they may have wow. their partner, and then it's a tough one between if they want their mother present and me and what to decide there. Yeah, those are so. some super tough choices. But I imagine on some level, um, it's helping people to sort of, they're forced to think about just how important the support is for them. Mm-hmm. I imagine women who've gone through this once, when they get to that second child, they're like, yeah, I, I know I need my doula. <laughs> it's maybe more of a no-brainer for them. Yes. And then I always encourage people that, you know, if if that option is there, then I'm always ready to support people virtually as well. And then also to another Another big thing and a tip for anyone listening to labor at home if possible as as long as possible and then when you if you are having a, a hospital birth center birth that time when you're at home you can have whomever you want present and so that's a time uh, not only for health outcomes it's nice to labor at home as long as possible but also too for that support it opens the window for more people to be present with you before you transition to where you'll be birthing at. That is a good tip. And it sounds like from how you're framing this, this is still ongoing. These restrictions, there's something you're still dealing with this far into the pandemic. Yes. Even with vaccines and, and whatever, hospitals are still being that gatekeepers. Yes. Okay. Wow. <laughs> this has been a tough couple of years then in your line of work. Ebony, there's something else I wanted to ask you about today. I'm, I'm just very intrigued by this. You've also done some work on this um, on this health front in Ghana, in West Africa. And I'm curious if, if what you saw there, if that sort of gave you new perspective on what happens here in the U.S. Yes. So, you know, I always kind of say there's like two different lenses that I I feel like people fall into is like um, if birth is a medical process that sometimes happens naturally or is it a natural process that sometimes needs medical intervention. And just looking at it from those two different lenses can really impact the type of care that people receive. And I would say in Ghana, it's definitely seen more so from the lens of this is a normal physiological process that sometimes may need some sort of intervention. And so it's a very holistic, traditional approach. Um, and there's also um, in the community so much support, um, just even with the women and everyone corralling around the person who's pregnant and expecting um, and, and after they have their baby to really have that um, it takes a village to raise not only the child, but also the birthing person or mother um, as well. And so I definitely infuse a lot of what I learned in Ghana into um, my services. So for women who are having a pregnancy without complications, it sounds like there's a lot we could learn from that model of how they do things. Yes, yes, yes. Is that sometimes a hard sell for Americans? I mean, we kind of have medicalized so many parts of life and death. Oh, yes. We could have a a part two on on exploring the the history of of, um, obstetrics and everything. But but yes, sometimes it is really just that that shift that birth isn't necessarily something to fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you infuse fear, that can that can change a lot. So I like to work a lot with people with just kind of breaking down the barriers and the fear and mentally and exploring where that comes from and kind of reinstilling people's confidence that, that they got this. That's cool. So something else came out of your work in Ghana, and that is that's where you met your husband. Is that right? Yes, it is. How, how did you guys meet? Yes, yeah, so I was in Ghana as a piece 
Peace Corps volunteer, and I was a um, I'm a biology major, and so I thought that I would be placed in the health sector, but I was placed in the education sector, and I was a high school biology teacher and did reproductive health and things of that nature. And my husband actually, well, my now husband actually lived in the community that I was placed in, and a long time we we wound up becoming really good friends and. I hadn't gone swimming yet, and there was a pool party happening, and he invited me, and from there, we just took off. (laughs) I love that. What a great story. And he's now in St. Louis? He is. He is. I'm sure he's listening. (laughs) And has that that just been, like, the hugest adjustment to, like, be in the Midwest? Oh, yes, to be in in the U.S. Yeah. Just period. Yes, yes. Is he happy with his life choice? He's he's pleased to be here? He loves me, but he lets me know he's ready to go home. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's great. But, I mean, what a wonderful love story. That's just, that's amazing. So when it comes time for you, your two girls, will you encourage them to go into the Peace Corps and and go have that experience? Oh, yes. My husband even, even jokes about like um, if he becomes a citizen, then we can go and serve together as a married couple and stuff. So I always tell him, you know, that we probably wouldn't get placed in Ghana, right? And so <laughs> <laughs> that might be a little bit of a problem there. But well, it has been so great to hear your story. And we want to congratulate you again. Um, Ebony is receiving Generate Health's 2021 Judy Wilson Griff- Griffin Maternal Health Equity Champion Award. That is happening tonight. Are you ready for this ceremony? Uh, I'm excited. That's great. Well, Ebony Hooper Boateng, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This episode was produced by Evie Hemphill, with audio engineering by Alex Hoyer and production assistance from Jane Mather Glass. It was mixed and edited by Jane. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.